Welcome to the Nutrigenomic Nation podcast with Brian Highfield, certified nutritionist, author, speaker, and founder of multiple successful companies in the health world. Brian is known for educating healthcare professionals and others on improving their health and their life through breakthroughs in nutrition, technology, and biochemistry. On the podcast, Brian interviews thought leaders in the world of nutrition and natural health. He and his guests share the secrets of a whole life natural approach to health and the life-altering results you can get by making easy changes to your diet and daily routine. All right. Well, welcome to Nutrigenomic Nation, where we talk about nutritional-based healthcare technology and emerging trends related to your genetic health. Today, we have another awesome guest uh, to, to share her knowledge with, with everybody here today. We have Dr. Sarah Rahal, who is a double board certified adult and pediatric neurologist and headache medicine specialist with additional training in functional and environmental medicine. So welcome, Dr. Rahal. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, first off, my first question for all my guests is we want to know more about you. And so what can you tell our listeners about your background why you chose healthcare as a career and how you got started. Sure. Um, well, I am, an, I am an East Coast native. I grew up in the suburbs of New York. Um, and, you know, I initially gravitated towards healthcare because I, I think I've always had a very curious spirit and the, the, um, the way that the body worked was always a fascinating and mysterious thing to me, uh, predominantly the brain. Uh, and so I went into medicine um, with my eye on learning more about the brain and uh, as an extension of that, how to heal um, people who have uh, problems with their neurologic function. I think that the way that we interact with one another and show up in the world is, is so much dictated by our connections with other people, our connections with ourselves, our ability to be conscious and uh, present. And so any kind of disease that would um, affect one's ability to, to be able to show up as the fullest version of themselves in that way, I, I thought was a, a place that could be really impactful. Um, and so I, I went to medical school. Um, I trained uh, here in New York. Um, uh, and when I did my clinical work initially, which is what you do when you're a medical student, you kind of spend a little time on in each of the subspecialties. I was spending time in the adult neurology ward and I found it to be such a, such a sad place to be because here we had such um, these people who are just devastated by neurologic diseases and we didn't really have good treatments for any of these things. And the models that we were using to think about um, how these people had been devastated by strokes or Parkinson's or degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's was a model of, well, how can we fix things now and put a Band-Aid on things? And we don't have good treatments to put Band-Aids on things when it comes to, when it comes to diseases like that. And so the Western model was kind of just broken in, in terms of offering solutions for, for people um, who were suffering. And then I went over to the pediatric side um, and here kids were young and resilient and 
Um, we didn't necessarily have much better tools for them, but they seem to have this, uh, this buoyancy in being able to recover from things in a way that adults didn't. And so, so many of my colleagues find time in pediatrics to be really depressing because it, it is very sad to see kids suffering from diseases. But, but for me, I saw so much hope on that side of the equation uh, versus uh, working on the adult side. And so I pursued a path down pediatrics um, and uh, in taking this idea of like how to uh, find solutions that are really preventing problems from happening in the first place, I started tying in other uh, treatment modalities and getting trained in functional medicine, which is looking at kind of a more holistic framework for, for treating people. I did uh, training in Eastern medicine as well in Chinese medicine and got certified in acupuncture. Uh, I, I got uh, trained in environmental health as well. And so I had a very um, holistic framework um, in thinking about um, not just keeping people alive, but keeping people well. And that's really the, 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 the core of it um, and why I find healthcare to be such a, such a really exciting uh, place to be in a really exciting time because I think there's more attention now being paid to um, what we can do way, way far upstream. Uh, instead of putting band-aids on things, how can we kind of uh, step in and get our foot in the door early enough that we can uh, prevent things from going downhill in the first place? Yeah, and so you're talking about getting well, you know, versus putting band-aids and, and treating um, the affliction. And, and in fact, I, I found a quote that you had said, and it, it, would talk to, it was talking about getting well, but you, you ended the quote saying an empowered patient is key to that. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, I, I think that the way medicine has changed uh, generationally over time is, is much further away from a paternalistic model where the, the doctor knows everything and tells you what to do uh, because that's not true and never has been. Um, and so I think that the most important thing is to make sure that people um, know where to find vetted information um, and have the tools at their disposal to be able to enact changes in their day-to-day -day life because it's the small daily habits that really contribute to overall wellness. So you can write a prescription and tell somebody to take a pill every day and that's not empowering them in any way. It's it, uh, creating a crutch that has all of these knock-on effects in terms of their health that they, they may not even know about and the doctor themselves may not even know about in prescribing it. Um, and it, it's quite another thing to um, equip people with uh, the information that they need to make those little changes in life. And it's not necessarily uh, just about adding in new things. I, I really like this idea of subtractive uh, progress, uh, which is the idea that understanding what to avoid, especially in this modern era, can oftentimes be more important than knowing what things to add in, um, because we, we live in a climate where we're exposed to things that have a detrimental effect on our health on a daily basis, and knowing how to navigate that and do better for ourselves can really empower somebody uh, in their day-to-day -day life uh, and, and have um, really profound effects long-term. So isn't that a mindset shift that we, we've had? I mean, like you said, there's that, that, that paternal model that people have in their mind that, oh, well, there's, there's this doctor, he's gonna know everything, he's gonna be able to fix me. And they're more reactive to when things go wrong versus being more preventative. So how do we, how do we change that mindset? Isn't that a great question? <laughs> I, I think the, the first piece of it is 
being able to distribute knowledge um, as much as we can in in telling people that they have more control over the health, their health than they've otherwise maybe been led to believe. Um, I see that what's happening now in this in this COVID climate is a perfect opportunity for that. Unfortunately, I I I, I do think our our leaders in a public health standpoint have failed in this regard because this is really an opportunity to um, take public health seriously and uh, tell people how how they could um, better build their resiliency um, against their, the the threats that we're facing in our environment with a with a novel virus um, rather than uh, making people reliant on these kind of external measures um, as a way of protecting themselves. So we could have taken this opportunity to really teach people about how to eat better and how to um, manage their stress better, how to exercise, how to make better lifestyle choices, which would have had a pretty tremendous um, effect in terms of uh, bolstering people's resiliency to um, the threats. You know, the pathogen is only one part of the equation. It's also how, how resilient are you to, to becoming sick in the first place? And that's why we see so much variability um, in the face of the same exposure, um, you know, some people getting very sick, some people getting mildly sick, and some people not having symptoms at all. And, and it's largely due to their um, innate health status. And we could have really used this opportunity to bolster that and teach people the tools. Um, and so I think we've, we've failed in that regard. Um, but there's still opportunity to get the message out. And I think um, that now's the time to do it. People are, people's attention is, is particularly peaked towards that. No, you're absolutely right. And, and kind of going back to what you said about people having more control than they think, um, I, we talked one episode before about epigenetics a little bit. And because a lot of people, they think, well, based on my family history, I'm predisposed to this and I have no control over my genes. And yeah. now there's this whole area of science around epigenetics. And I guess, could you just, for listeners that may have not have, have known or, or know what epigenetics is, could you just tell us a little bit about what that is and why that's important to understand for, for our health? You know, we see an explosion uh, in chronic disease nowadays, and our genes haven't all of a sudden changed uh, dramatically in modern human history. Our environment certainly has, and rapidly so. The way we eat has changed more in the past 50 years than it did in our previous, you know, tens of thousands of years of evolution. We're exposed to 90,000 90, new chemicals, uh, most of which are unregulated. Our stress levels are, have increased. Our sleep health has declined. Um, our, our genes are not changing uh, rapidly. Uh, we are essentially kind of maladapted to these, these things that are changing around us. But what we have built in um, is kind of this evolutionary advantage where we have this kind of flexibility or adaptability to be able to thrive in different um, circumstances. And this comes from this life history theory, which says that as organisms, we're kind of constantly making certain trade-offs um, in order to survive under different conditions. And these trade-offs may serve us very well in the short term, but pose problems down the road or, or, vice, uh, or vice versa. And so our genes um, are, are, are not static in that way. 
Um, so just like we have, um, like I like this, this analogy of like music notes on a sheet. So you can take a page, a, a page of musical composition and the notes are like our, our, um, our code of DNA. The notes are the same, but you can interpret those notes in countless different ways by emphasizing, emphasizing certain notes and some last longer than others and there are pauses. And so you can hear something totally different from the orchestra depending on how the conductor is kind of interpreting those notes. And that's kind of what the environment does to our genes. And so while the code of our DNA doesn't change, how that DNA is expressed um, can change. And it, how that expression happens is dictated by um, our environment, the food we eat, our stress levels, chemicals in the environment, alcohol, our sleep levels, all of these things decide how those notes get played. Um, and so epigenetics is actually the study of how these notes get, get played. So it's the study of the changes in expression of our genes that we can in inherit and pass from generation to generation um, and, and, and do not actually involve changes to the DNA sequence itself, just the way that it gets expressed. So epigenetics means above the gene. Um, and our best estimates are that 98% of the variability we see in disease is related to epigenetic factors. Only 2% of disease is related to the DNA or, or genetic code itself. Well, and that's so pretty profound. 98% has to do with the epigenetics, only 2% with our actual okay. genetic code. So if if 98% of disease is related to these epigenetic factors, which have to do our environment with our environment, and there's so much control that we can have a, in our environment, not everything, but certainly many, many factors, there is a great amount of empowerment for people to implement changes that can have um, a lot of benefit for their personal health and disease risk. And that's pretty profound. I mean, I'm, but the hair on the back of my neck kind of stood up when you talked about and, and made that statement. 98% of, of disease has to do with our epigenetics and things that are relatively within our control. And, right. and that's why it's so important to, for people to really take responsibility for their health. I mean, you talked about it, nutrition and your environment and sleep and stress all affect those epigenetic factors, those notes, interpreting those notes of music as, as you as you said, and that's, I think that's what our listeners really need to hear. And Brian, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even blow your mind more when I tell you that these epigenetic influences start before you're even born. Wow. So these, these trade-offs that are happening with the way that your genes are expressed start in the womb from the signals that are coming in through the placenta from your, from your mom, giving clues as to what's happening in the environment. Um, and, and these, are, these are things that change over the course of your life. And so even if you, know, you may not have made good, change, good, um, good choices around your nutrition or your exposures at one point in your life, these epigenetic signals, they're constantly being modified. You can't change your DNA, but you sure can change those tags and those signals. So, so it is never too late to start implementing changes that can have pretty dramatic effects on your genetic expression and disease risk. 
Wow, you did blow my mind there too. <laughs> so that's that's just amazing. And and again, I think that's why we keep uh, hammering home to people that you have so much control, more than you think, of what your health. And and we need to take responsibility. And and really, self care is is the new health care. I love how you how you use that analogy with with the music. I think that I think people will resonate with that. Let's uh, let's talk about how this all plays with within our immune system because right now we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, and and. We have a very aggressive viral infection that's spreading around the country, around the globe, really. And and one thing that I noticed that the CDC and, and other government officials really aren't talking about is is what people can do to build their immune system, or or at least not deteriorate it. <laughs> you know, not what they can to to really um, uh, prevent degradation of their immune system. Um, we, they always talk about how we hide from the virus, how we can protect and add those different layers. And they're all, it's all good advice. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, but not many people are really talking about our immune system and what kind of power we have and, and think, steps that we can take to really make sure that our immune system is strong just in case we do come in contact with any viral infection. Yeah, um, you know, I think that there's there's two parts of this uh, in terms of how to think about supporting your immune system optimally, um, because there's there's two pieces of immune health. Number one is how do you um, minimize the risk that bad things are going to get into the body, and then should that happen, how do you give your immune system all the raw materials that it needs to f- function optimally? Um, and so there's, there's a lot of overlap in the, the measures that do both, um, but it's important to recognize that, you know, we are, we are talking a lot about, um, you know, supplements and things that people can take, um, like vitamin C and vitamin D, which vitamin D has a, a lot of robust research specifically around COVID, which we, we don't have time to dive into, but I, I think that's, um, that, that should be part of the, the public health messaging. Um, but there's also this piece of it is, which is how do um, how do you minimize the risk that you know something uh, threatening is going to get into the body? Um, and we're talking a lot about staying away from each other, wearing masks, kind of this this idea of of separation. Um, and and that is true. But we're, we are human beings and social creatures, and this is not a sustainable. Um, model. There, there are strategies we can employ in under any circumstances to better um, protect ourselves from threats getting inside the body. And uh, something that's been ignored is mucosal barrier health. Let me say that again, mucosal barrier health. It's a term probably most people are not familiar with, but just like we have skin as a barrier on the mm-hmm. outside of our body, to separate us from the outside world, we actually have a barrier on the inside of the body. It's called the mucosa. And it it is the physical barrier that lines everything from our eyes, mouth, nose, lungs, gut, urinary reproductive tract. It's like the skin on the inside of the body. And um, 80% of our immune system lives at this mucosal barrier, 80%. It's not floating around in our bloodstream, which is how we all think about the immune system. We all think about antibodies and we're all learning these new terms like C- T-cells um, and, uh, and cytokines. No, our, our immune system predominantly lives at these mucosal surfaces. It makes sense. It's the interface between everything we breathe and ingest and the rest of our bodies. And 
this this mucosal barrier is a place where we can we can have a lot of control over protecting and strengthening. Um, unfortunately, all of these modern exposures that we were talking about before related to epigenetic health, one of the ways that they cause the most harm to us is they specifically damage these mucosal barriers, pollutants in our air and water, pesticides in our food supply, ultra-processed food, um, medication, whether it be over-the-counter or prescription, all of these things cause disruption to these mucosal barriers and make them more permeable than they're supposed to be. And then when we breathe in or ingest something that contains an allergen or a virus or a bacteria or any outside threat, it's, it, is, it has an easier time passing into the body and causing disease. And so there are steps that we can take to strengthen these mucosal barriers to uh, protect ourselves proactively um, from things inappropriately getting into the body in the first place. And this is a pathway that underlies things like viruses, like COVID, but also things like autoimmunity. It's, it's a pathway that underlies a lot of um, modern diseases that we see. And there, there are thousands of research publications on this pathway, but it's, it's largely removed from, from the discourse that we're having from a public health standpoint. Wow. And it's important for people to know. So, you know, like you said, I love the analogy too, like the skin's protecting the inside, but this mucosal barrier is really protecting everything else in case something breaks that initial barrier and gets, gets on the inside. What, uh, I, we're running out of time a little bit, but I want to see, is there another, another topic or anything else we haven't covered that you really want our listeners to know and understand that, that is really important to, uh, to really take responsibility for their health right now? Um, well, uh, you know, I think that we covered um, a lot of things that I that I deem important. I will say that um, mucosal barrier health is kind of an underrecognized area. Um, the the promise there is that there is a natural food that exists specifically for these mucosal barriers. So when babies are born, they have just like we have a. a a disrupted barrier from living in the modern era and having all of these exposures that cause damage to it, babies are born with an immature mucosal barrier. Hmm. And so milk, mammalian milk evolved in mammals 300 million years ago, specifically to repair these mucosal barriers in vulnerable infants after birth. Um, and it's one of the reasons we see a higher preponderance of immune-related diseases in infants who don't get breast milk because they don't get the, these, uh, these really important bioactive compounds in colostrum and breast milk that seal up the barriers and protect them from um, outside threats. Um, and so there's a, a lot of opportunity um, as, a, as a natural food um, for bioactive uh, compounds that are present in mammalian milk and co-evolved with us for, for, for millions of years um, to help support and repair and strengthen these barrier surfaces. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that is something that uh, people can think about in addition to avoiding the exposures as much as they can, having another tool in your toolkit to help support the strength and integrity of these barriers uh, can be really, uh, really helpful. What about adults? I mean, what, is there something that they can either eat or avoid that's really going to help support and, and build up that mucosal barrier for their immune system? Yeah, so there, there are a few things. So, um, so as I mentioned, colostrum um, is a supplement uh, that can be taken. Uh, it's, it's a dairy product from cows. 
um, that, that has a plethora of research uh, in its utility in, in promoting human health. We've been using it medicinally for hundreds of years. There were two recent clinical studies showing that a colostrum supplement is three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing flu. Wow. Yeah, you just keep blowing my mind with stuff like that. That's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, so that, that, is, that is part of, uh, that can be part of strengthening the mucosal barrier and making sure that you are taking in all of the necessary micronutrients that promote maintenance and repair of these mucosal barriers. So that includes um, a diet that um, is plentiful in, in fiber, in whole foods, uh, plenty of protein, vitamin D, zinc. Um, these are all important. A whole food-based diet, plant plus proteins, is really your key to promoting mucosal barrier health and minimizing exposure to any processed food, um, which contains uh, compounds in it that can cause damage to these barriers, um, high sugar included. Uh, so, so most of the um, most of the things that we talk about with general health um, as being the, you know the right way to, the right way to um, eat a whole food-based diet, plant and proteins. These are also really important um, uh, measures that will give your body the, the raw ingredients it needs to keep that barrier um, in tip-top shape. It's, it's regenerating every couple of weeks. You're building an entirely new lining. So it requires ongoing support, but also you know, little changes can have big impact because of that turnover. Awesome. That's, that's great to know. Um, so we had several mind-blowing facts <laughs> throughout today's episode, and uh, it's, it's been, been an awesome, awesome interview. I appreciate it, Dr. Ray Hall. One, one last question for you is, where can our audience go to get more information on some of the topics we talked about today? Uh, I, your audience can go to www.tryarmra.com. Dot com. That is uh, a website that has a, a, a lot of uh, articles and scientific information that, that people can find as a resource related to mucosal barrier health, um, as well as um, a product that, I'm, that I've uh, developed containing some of these really important bioactives from colostrum. Awesome. Great. Well, appreciate it again, Dr. Ray Hall. This has been an awesome episode. Really appreciate you joining us today. And from all of us at Nutrigenomic Nation, I hope you enjoyed our discussion today. And we hope you join us next time when we discuss other topics related to your good health. Thank you so much for listening. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.